We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day. Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by BetOnline.ag. I'm Pete, joined as always by Darius, and we have a plan to return to basketball. Uh... Last week, the NBA Board of Governors voted on a 22-team plan to return to action, and that was ratified by the the Players Association uh, a bit later. And so now we have a general overview. The there are a few things still to get worked out, but what Darius and I are going to discuss today are kind of the the general what it means to come back and kind of the process that the players and coaches and everybody are going to have to go through. And then in the second half, we're going to talk about how the Lakers fit into that. So this is going to be more of a of a bird's eye view and overview episode. And then in going forward, as we get closer, we're going to get more and more into the specifics of what it's going to mean to come back. So uh, Darius, you got pulled up there. You got the, the specs on on what's going to happen on the NBA's return. What are we looking at on the timetable? Yeah, so... I guess right now we should look at it from the context of um, players are still working within their um, their individual workouts, like team facilities are, are open and, and teams are in the process of bringing players back into the fold within their own sort of home market environments, right? Like if, if you go back a month or so or even longer, because how long have we been at this, man? The, um, oh, boy. <laughs> the, the league allowed players to leave their home markets a while back, right? And, and that mm-hmm. includes foreign players 
mm-hmm. who were allowed to go back overseas if that's what they wanted to 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 actually do. And, and so I think we're in the stage now where all of those players are sort of come coming back. Some of those players, if they were overseas, they're going to be subject to a 14 day quarantine. Mm-hmm. And so I think this period right now from the beginning part of June to the end part of June is when players are, are sort of being reacclimated to their home markets, right? Mm-hmm. And so on June 30th, so let's go over some dates first. On, on June 30th, training camps are supposed to start. Um, training camps will be about a week. Teams will then fly to Orlando um, on well, well, on July 7th with a, pro- with a prospective start date of July 31st, right? So we're not actually looking at actual NBA basketball until August, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, July 31st would be the first the games on July. Yeah. And so that stretch between once they get there and once they start, uh, from what I've seen, they're going to have a quarantine of their own. Yeah. Right. Once start out. That'll be interesting because they're going to have a training camp. Does being quarantined mean like, can they still have practice? Yeah. Are you going to have a week of quarantine or a week of training camp and then no basketball and everybody's separated from each other? And then you pick back up what with another training camp? Yeah, that, I'll, that's I'll be very interested to see. And, and these are some of these little details, right? That still need to be worked mm-hmm. out between the players and the league. Be, be, well, because. It's my understanding that that Florida has certain rules that if you're traveling from certain places, including mm-hmm. New York, right. right, which one of these teams is the Brooklyn Nets. So mm-hmm. some of these guys will be coming from from New York, that they are subject to a 14 day quarantine when they arrive in Florida. And so I'll be very interested to see how that gets worked out. If there's a workaround that the league is going to make arrangements with the state government of, of Florida, that there are still a lot of details to hammer out in terms of stuff like that. Right. Mm-hmm. But in moving forward, there's so 22 teams. You mentioned that are coming to Orlando, 13 Western Conference teams and nine Eastern Conference teams. Um, that's the eight playoff teams from each conference and then five additional Western Com- Conference teams. Those teams are the Blazers, Pelicans, Kings, Spurs, and Suns. And mm-hmm. then on the East, the ninth team this coming are the Wizards. Apparently, the league used um, a format of if you're within six games of the eighth seed, then you would be invited to come to Orlando to be mm-hmm. part of this process. Um, do you have any thoughts on like even that part? We had talked we we had talked a couple of weeks ago, right? About should it only be sixteen? Should it be twenty? I think you and I were both sort of leaning towards twenty. It's more than that. Yeah, it's they're trying to thread the needle with the economic pressures and all that, right? Like there are teams that need to make money on their local TV deals and they're trying to do the best they can with that. That's more teams that need to be here. Even 20 teams I think thought was a bit a little bit generous. I would have had fine just been fine just going straight with 16. We've played 65 games. Yeah. The last lockout season that we had in 2011 was uh, 2011-12 was 66 games, right? So we're not talking about some really abbreviated season. The 99 season was 50 games, but 
there was such a sudden and massive loss of revenue in business. Like, I don't like it, but I get it. I, I'm not going to be too upset with them. Where do you stand on kind of just them inviting that many teams, all but eight? I probably would have gone down to 20 or even 20, 21. Like, I probably wouldn't have, wouldn't have invited the Suns, right. for, <laughs> for example. Um, I could see inviting the Wizards, even though they're a healthy number of games back from the eighth seed right now. I think that that you you like if if you're going to introduce the idea of you can have a plan to get into the playoffs i think it's only fair to invite at least one east eastern conference team if like if you're not going to seed 1 through 16 which they're not going to do they're they're going to keep an east first west playoff format here so i wouldn't have invited the suns um i'm the rest of those Western Conference teams, though, are so closely lumped together. I think it's fine to bring the other four. I don't know then what you would have had to have done in terms of shifting things up if you only invite 21, for example. So you right, may have like had, an odd number. Yeah, mm-hmm. so you may have had to have lopped off another Western Conference team, and, and then you get into the fact, well, all of these guys are like four or four and a half games back or whatever. So, so who do you decide does does not come. Um, maybe if you ask LaMarcus Aldridge at his hurt shoulder, uh, uh, right. Right, he might have said, ah, the Spurs, like, uh, we're okay. But yeah, so, so I can understand it. I'm with you. It, it's definitely a play at the money, um, but it, it's an entertainment sport, man. Like they wouldn't be coming back at all, right? They, like mm-hmm. it, if it wasn't a play on recouping some of this revenue, they're right. a professional sports league. They're they're out to make money. So, right, it is what it is, and I, I don't mind them inviting twenty two. I I'm curious about your thoughts though on the play in. Now the structure of the play in, the Lakers are actually put at somewhat of a disadvantage because as the one seed, they will be playing a more uncertain eighth seed than all of the other matchups. And same would be true with Milwaukee in the Eastern Conference. What they're doing with the eighth seed is that by the end of the eight games that they're playing to finish up the regular season, if anybody is within four games of that eighth seed, they're going to do a play-in tournament. And So let me, let me jump in there. There will only be a playoff between, or there will only be a play-in between the ninth and the eighth seed. Right. And That's so right. Thank you. Th- th- there are still some things to even work out with that. Right. Because what if there are two or more teams tied for ninth, mm-hmm. which is very possible in the Western Conference. Right. What's the tiebreaker? What's, there? Yeah. what's the tiebreaker look like? And and since you don't have a full regular season games worth of data, how is that going to be cut? Um, so I'm very interested in in seeing that, but but go on and make your point. I just wanted to make that. No, clear. I was I was just I was just trying to lay it out there of what they're doing with that eighth seed, right? So yeah, that's right. They're between the eighth and ninth seed. There would be a play-in tournament where the eighth seed would have to get beaten twice, and the ninth seed would only have to lose once in order to get eliminated, right? So say it's Memphis and Pelicans with Memphis as the eighth seed. The Pelicans have handled Memphis pretty pretty well uh, over the course of the season. They'd have to beat them twice, and they very much well could. Uh, you know, you got Portland in the mix there, too. I don't think San Antonio is really going to be, you know, especially with Aldridge kind of saying, like, no, nah, I'm good on all that. Uh, but, 
yeah, that's what are your thoughts on? I think that's a little too much of a gap, right? It seems like another place where they're trying to generate revenue. If you're four games back, if we play eight more games, we're talking everybody's in the low 70s on the season. So you're telling me like a four game lead. How often does a team lose a four game lead over the course of 10 games, which is about what would be short on the season? I think that that should be a a two game, you know, or, or behind maximum. Uh, again, I think they're trying to play more games to generate revenue, which I get. But I think it, I think it does some disservice to how many games have already been played. Yeah, I definitely see that point. I also see your point on this like team, uns- uh, like opponent uncertainty for mm-hmm. the number one seed. Um, I was actually listening to Zach Lowe talk about this, um, and he made a very good good point about this that. If you're going to allow um, a play-in with potentially a four-game gap, they should maybe scale the number of games that you have to win if you're four games back, right? And so if you're four games back, maybe you have to win like three times or or Mm -hmm. four times, Mm -hmm. right, in order to get in, whereas the eighth seed the team that's currently slotted at eight would only need to still win once. Right. Be right. Like just because you're giving the odds there are a little bit skewed in the ninth team's favor, even if, especially if they're three and a half or four games back, Mm -hmm. like, like to only have to win twice to make up four games. That doesn't feel right to me. Right. Like just because Mm -hmm. you've set this arbitrary number of, okay, well, we've now played eight games and you're four games back. You're the ninth seed. Everyone else is four and a half or five games back. And so congratulations. You will you get to try to play play yourself in. But let's say let's say it is the Grizzlies who's who's an eighth. But let's just say it's the Blazers who Mm -hmm. are in the ninth seed and they're a full four games back. That so you're telling me that Dame Lillard just has to have two mm-hmm. two Dame games, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and is now in the playoffs. Like that's if like if you're Memphis, you probably have 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 to say like, well, god damn it, like yeah, like this sucks. Yeah, it does a disservice to to how many games were played. I it's you know I think all in all with this proposal, they did a, a solid job. They've got some specifics to reintroduce. There have been reports today about how Woj reported that certain players and a faction of players have been like objecting to the idea of going into the bubble and that it's not worth it, right, for reasons regarding COVID, family situations. They're going to be locked down in there, right? And with if they leave and come back, they'll be subject to a 10-day quarantine. So pretty much they're, they're stuck in there. And uh, it's it's something very difficult to impose on that large of a group of people on relatively short notice uh, and for a variety of reasons. And I would also say that, um, and you and I were talking about this some before we started recording, but look at the profile of people in which you're asking to basically stay <laughs> in the same place for that amount of time without necessarily having any exposure to the outside world at all. Right. Like, mm-hmm. w- I don't know if you saw this clip the other day, but I saw a clip of 
Anthony Davis and LeBron James riding bikes in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. right? right. Like, and I understand that the place where the players are going to isn't small by any means. Like even calling it a campus is doing it a disservice based off of how big um, the wild, the wide world of sports center is. Um, but it's going to be tricky and there's a lot of logistical details that have not leaked out yet. Um, certainly I'm sure the players are starting to get wind of some of the stuff that's, <laughs> right. that's, that's on the tay table. And it would not surprise me if, if, if some of these um, sort sort of like the more social implications rather than the playing conditions are now starting to creep into their heads about, okay, if I'm going to the conference finals or even the finals, like this is three months of, of my life where I'm basically on lockdown where all Mm -hmm. I've got is a, is a hotel and my teammates, right? Like, um, I remember listening to a podcast or a conversation that Jared Dudley was having, um, about the Lakers trip to China and, you know, they get to China, the whole Daryl Morey tweet thing goes, mm-hmm. takes everything off, well, well, off of the rails. And Jared Dudley this year was basically has been the saying, strangest, I'm sorry, this has been the strangest. Damn oh, year. man. It, it, Just everything, man. It's, I, I forgot about the China thing. Like, yeah. So Dudley, so, so Dudley's describing, though, how they're the Lakers and the Nets are basically captive in their hotels, right? Like they they can't really go out on the streets like they right. they're they're not necessarily sure for their safety personally there's mm-hmm. a lot of political implications to to things that they might say and everything else and so they're on lockdown right mm-hmm. and granted they're in a foreign country and not at Disney World that said <laughs> they were ready to get the hell out of there after mm-hmm. not not too long, and, and I don't want to like say that these are identical si- si- situations. No. They're they're clearly not. But you know, you can imagine cabin feet like the cabin fever is yeah, going to kick in. Being being stuck in the same place for that period of time is especially when it's not a place that you're familiar with. Is that's going to be a challenge in its own right. We could do a whole show on what <laughs> it's going to mean for these guys to get through the that seven week period of time and how it's going to be a different circumstance. I, I really think that team chemistry is going to be in extraordinarily important in these times where if you're locked together with somebody for seven weeks, you better hope you like them. Right. Yeah, that's right. And, <laughs> and so there's a lot of uh, interesting implications to, to that. So we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to talk about what this plan to reopen the NBA, how it impacts the Lakers a little more specifically. There's no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. Bet online, your online wagering experts. So, what does this mean for the Lakers going into Orlando? We talked right before the break about them being shut down. 
they, with eight games left, have a five and a half game lead for the number one seed in the Western Conference. They're three games back of the Milwaukee Bucks, but two in the loss column. And have essentially locked up their position, right? Like they could theoretically catch the Bucks, but I guess my first question for you, Darius, is how should they approach these eight games? There's been talk of there being exhibition games and or scrimmages between teams before they get to those eight games that actually count. But for the Lakers, they have a little bit of flexibility where they don't have to go all out for eight games to solidify their regular season position, they're probably locked in where they are. As a result, how should they approach those final eight games of the year? Well, I I think regardless of seeding or anything, right, like there is no home, like what's home court advantage going to even mean, right? Like Mm -hmm. I I know that there were a bunch of funky ideas that have been thrown out there, but, um, but moving that to the side for a second to, to get to the root of your question, I think they just need to tune up, man, start to get in, in the right physical shape. And their goal should be like mental sharpness um, for the level in which they're going to have to play over a sustained period of time. Once the playoffs start, I don't necessarily think matchups, are going to mean as much to the Lakers specifically. They're one of the best teams in the league. Teams should be worried about having to match up with them rather than the Lakers worried about who, like who's going to end up in eighth or who's on their side of the bracket. I, I think that there are draws that they would prefer, but, but I'm not necessarily worried about that. Are, from your perspective, are there specific things that you think that they should be working on or targeting in order to gear up for the playoffs? Or is this just like I understanding that it's it's a totally unique sit, well, well, situation? Aren't the goals for when the playoffs start basically the same to be sort of approaching a certain level physically mm-hmm. and mentally to, to gear up for a long run? They are. And it's just how you get there is so different. We talked about this with Dr. Brar a couple pods ago, right, is the unique challenges of getting up to a level where they never could possibly get to what they would have been been at. Uh, But the physical component of getting these guys physically ready, especially the best guys, uh, that should be almost the entire focus of those last eight games, in my opinion, is just getting everybody physically in the right place. And I I would approach it similar to an exhibition season, Mm. right? Where that first game, you play one shift together in the first quarter and LeBron and AD sit. And then in the fourth quarter, we got Costas Antetokounmpo out there with Taylor Horton Tucker. And they're, you know, everybody's getting a few minutes. And then the next game, maybe they play two shifts. And maybe you do that for a couple of games and just ramp it up to the point where, you know, LeBron and Anthony Davis come playoff time. Those are 40 minute a night players. Historically, that's what your superstars will get. Well, it's a long way from sitting around for four yeah. months. Not that that's what they've been doing, sitting around, but they certainly haven't, certainly haven't been playing NBA basketball and against NBA level competition. Uh, 
it's a long way, man, to go from that to 40 minutes a night in a playoff circumstance. So I just think getting everybody physically right should be the the first priority. And number two is quite a ways behind that. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point about sort of treating it like an exhibition season, right? Like I could see them saying, all right, we have eight games. The first four are going to be this and the next four are going to be something else, right? Mm-hmm. Like o- almost like um, like an NFL preseason, right, is, is sure. four games. Um, and I could see them sort of being like, oh, all right, you know, we're capping LeBron's minutes at mm-hmm. 15 to 20 minutes for the first two or three games, right? And then the next mm-hmm. two or three games, we're going to up that to to 25 minutes. And then in those last three games, potentially, you're looking at somewhere around his working up to his normal workload, right? Of of 32 to 35 minutes a night. So that by the time the playoffs come, you might, depending on what the draw is, you might even say, all right, the first or second game of the playoffs, right? Um, are games where we're still sort of in that 32 to 35 minute range. Oof. Yeah. Like, look, man, like we talked to doc- to Dr. Brar about this and, and players have been on the record about this too, in terms of the amount of time that they feel like they would need in order to mm-hmm. get their bodies back to the condition where they're ready to play all out for an extended period of time. And, right. and odds are it's going to take more than eight games in reality. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you can have, you know, potentially televised scrimmages or like, you know, exhibition sort of preseason type games. Um, oh man, give me all of it. Yeah. I want all of it. No. And I might even say like, yeah, maybe those aren't even 48 minute games, right? Like you might say, mm-hmm. we're going to play four 10 minute or like four 10 minute core quarters or two 20 minute halves or even something shorter than that, right? Like eight minute core quarters. Like high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Something, right? In order to, to just sort of get the blood flowing again and get these guys back into some semblance of a groove before they're playing games that even count. Yeah, that's the pressure on the other end of this, right? Like we can think of it from the physical perspective of making sure they're healthy and uh, ready to go. They're physically ramped up as, as best as they can by the time the playoffs start. There's also an argument to be made for you're going to want your team sharp yeah. and it's going to be very difficult to be sharp again after a four-month hiatus. So what is... Should they, like, the first place my head goes, and I'm not sold on this, I'm curious to hear your perspective, is there should be some sort of dress rehearsal. Two or three games, maybe, where toward the end of that eight-game span where you're like, hey, we're going to treat this like a playoff game. Yeah. Right? And we're going to get our rotations. We're going to, you know, tighten up the rotation to eight or nine guys. That's a whole other pod, by the way. I don't know if you've looked over the playing time on the roster. And Vogel normally goes to a nine, eight or nine man rotation. We're at like an 11 man rotation right now. I'm really curious to see where those minutes go. That's a whole other pod. We'll certainly get into that. But I do think that it would be wise for them to treat a couple of games at the end of the season. And then maybe the last game, you sit everybody for health's sake. But, uh, 
Yeah, I, I think ramping up to a dress rehearsal. Are you of a similar mind, or how do you think they should approach just being sharp and being ready for the playoffs? No, I'm. I definitely think that probably games six and seven are going to need to mirror what you expect from a playoff game, right? Like mm-hmm. um, in terms of sharpening the rotation, in terms of looking for very specific thing things and like in terms of scheme, um, we still don't know what the schedule is. There's a real possibility that the Lakers opponent in game six or game seven could be their first round playoff opponent potentially, mm-hmm. right? Like be, just because we don't yet know what the schedule is, is going to be. Remember, man, like there's only 22 teams there. You can only play the other teams that are there, right? And, and so you don't get to say, oh, well, the Lakers were supposed to play the Cavs again. They weren't, right? But this is just a hypothetical, but the Cavs aren't here. Or the Lakers mm-hmm. were supposed to play the Knicks again, but the Knicks aren't here. Or so now you have to play the Grizzlies again, right? Mm-hmm. And But we've already played the Grizzlies four times. Well, it doesn't matter because this is the way the schedule lines up in order to get everyone their eight games. And if that's the case, then do you, is there going to be gamesmanship even that comes in mm-hmm. to play like, oh, well, this would be our playoff game, but we're not going to show you a lot of stuff, right? Like we're especially with home it. court, no home court advantage, right? So there's, you know, there's probably going to be more matchup hunting because you don't get any perceptible advantage from, uh, from having a higher seed, right? Yeah. So we may see, like, oh, are they going vanilla in this game because <laughs> sure. it might be a playoff opponent, and there's going to be all kinds of little chess match things that could play out in those final three to four games as seeds are being decided and playoff opponents are are starting to fall in place. Um, I'm interested to hear from you, though, is what side of the ball do you think the Lakers mm. should be looking at in terms of getting ready for things, right? Like, they've been a defensive team really all season and and their offense is the side of the ball that caught up and then their defense started to to fall back a little bit more Mm. obviously they're still like you know top five on both sides of the ball or were hovering around the top five in terms of defense but but they've proven themselves as a defensive team do you think that there should be some sort of specific strategy around what's going to be most important considering like the layoff and 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 what side of the ball is 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 going to be better for them to sort of key in on that that can carry them farther i think the lakers have the luxury of being able to trust lebron and to a lesser extent ad with the offense that their offense is not particularly complicated in the first place i think also with the this is a strange restart for everybody. I think a team that's as big and fast and strong and athletic as the Lakers are has an advantage in that they will be that right away. There is no degree of being in sync that on the offensive end, there's like it's it's going to take teams time to catch up to advantages that the Lakers naturally possess through their physical abilities. I think that if you can take those 
you know, the shot blocking and rim protection and the monster closeouts that the team's capable of, the guards being great at ball. I can't wait to talk basketball again, dude. Like, I'm thinking again, like, oh, yeah, and remember how they'd pressure on the perimeter and funnel guys, and then JaVale's back there swatting, and so is Dwight, and AD is on the perimeter and in two places at once. It's just, there were just this really beautiful and in sync defensive squad that I think if they can get to that levels of of synchronicity along with their natural advantages. I don't know how teams catch up to that on offense. What they're going to have to do is it's going to have to be a Kawhi being unstoppable, which he's obviously perfectly capable of, but I don't think that team offenses would be able to catch up with what the Lakers would be able to accomplish on the defensive end in the same amount of time. So I think that the advantage created from focusing on the defense is greater than it would be, especially when you could be like, hey, keep it simple, give the ball to LeBron, run this handful of sets, and rely on their superior talent on the offensive end. So I would I would invest heavily in the defensive end. How about you? How about you? No, I so I definitely agree with that. And I would frame it this way. Um, the Lakers do run a fairly simplistic offense. So I think to, I think back to like, um, a team like those great warriors teams or even like, um, the, those late run Spurs teams, like the one that won the championship against the heat and, and, and sort of that, that beautiful basketball that existed offensively. That's based off of like timing and feel and mm-hmm. you and I had talked about this on on several pods about how that type of approach offensively is likely going to be harder to get to and and just yeah. based off of the timing and feel and, and coming off of such such a long layoff the Lakers to me while their defensive scheme wasn't super complicated defense is about togetherness. It's about yeah, being shell. on, on mm-hmm. a string. There mm-hmm. is there is a certain amount of of intuitiveness that needs to exist and this sort of mind meld that needs to happen amongst the- Well that's that's the sharpness, right? When yeah. we were talking about that a, a couple topics ago, that's part of being sharp is knowing when this guy makes that rotation, that means my closeouts to the corner and it's making these mental decisions very quickly. And that comes with repetition. And part of what that repetition that you can get from that is in practice. There's no substitute for the games, but that type of shell drill work is what you call that. You run a shell drill uh, defense where you'll pass the ball around the perimeter or to the high post or to the low post, but wherever the ball is, everybody's supposed to rotate in this drill, right? It's a defensive drill just based on where the ball is. And so you can get those reps in in practice. They'll be doing shell offense, right? Five on O yeah. type stuff as as well. But it is less predicated, especially with the Lakers superstar talent, on everybody being together. Like our offense is more predicated on LeBron and AD are awesome. <laughs> you yes. know what I mean? Uh, whereas on defense, it does involve more togetherness. So I, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So so that's really why I think trying to really drill defensively is is going to be super important for this team in this sort of ramp up to the playoffs, right? Because if they can capture that togetherness 
that is going to spur them forward defensively, the the stuff on offense really should just come more naturally to them based off of the idea that they have LeBron, they have Anthony Davis, they can always run two-man game or they can always just post up. They, like the, Some of the criticisms that I think, or if not crit, criticisms, then, then uh, we would sometimes offer up our complaints about like maybe the lack of, of weak side movement offensively. Mm-hmm. And, and sure. a, a lot of that stuff, though, may actually play to their advantage now yes. offensively because there is not a lot of intricate motion that is involved with their offensive attack, but they will need that defensively, right? Like, right. when when am I tagging? When am I stunting instead of tag tagging in order to get back to the perimeter? Where is mm-hmm. the help coming from? Where am I funneling? How are we reading this screen, screen, and roll? Is, is, is the communication sharp? Like, there have been... I've, I, I was watching clips and defensive clips and there's this great there's a ton of these possessions but there was a really great defensive possession where LeBron was just sort of calling out coverages and playing center field and they were sort of like he was pointing guys on to switches because he knew where the other team was going offensively. And and so rather than have KCP flow to the corner where he knew that that closeout was going to be harder and and have to tag the roll man before making that that closeout, he just sent KCP on a switch off 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 of a ball screen to to cover the perimeter at the top of the key lebron then checks the big man rolling ball gets kicked to the corner and then he's out there right mm-hmm. and, and yep. it's that sort of level of in play communication and being on the same page that that is that sharpness that that we've been talking about this whole well, this whole pod. And while the Lakers will need some of that offensively, right, they'll need much more of that defensively in order to win a championship. And and that's why I would look at that side, side of the ball as, well, well, as a big key. And honestly, that makes me feel good because the Lakers are coached by Frank tools. Vogel. And mm-hmm. they've got, they got defensive the personnel, right? Yes. And, and so they've got a lot of things working in their favor and playing or coaching up the defensive side of the ball naturally should be a strength of this coaching staff. And, and they have the personnel and the IQ, I think, to, to hopefully get to that point. Yeah, I think that if they take that approach, they can create an advantage that, again, just other teams won't be able to catch up to because they'll get sharper and sharper on the defensive end as offenses do as well. But I I don't think they'll be able to catch the Lakers because they've got all of the personnel, all of the pieces and the Lakers are so veteran heavy that like Avery Bradley knows his job. Danny Green knows his job. Dwight Howard knows his job. These are all, you know, defensively guys that have played through the highest levels of basketball smart. deep into the playoffs and they're smart. They're all smart and they they know exactly how to so they'll get up to speed quicker. I just don't 
see how an, another team can kind of catch them from behind offensively. And I, I just think the combination of the Lakers being as sharp as they can be on defense, plus LeBron and AD on offense, I think it's going to be very difficult to beat. So, uh, yeah, exciting to be talking basketball again. I think next week, man, let's talk about that rotation. I'm really interested about the nine-week, the nine-man versus 11-man rotation that we're running right now. They've got some questions to address, and it's exciting to be uh, getting back in into this territory. Yeah, so. I also want to talk potentially about... Um potential matchups and if there are teams that you might be less or more worried sure. about, um, sure. especially early on. So, yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. It's exciting to get back to this. I've been, uh, been champing at the bit. So, uh, until then you've been listening to Laker film room podcast. We will catch you guys next time. Ains has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's magic. Got it. Magic fires, it's good, and the Lakers win the game! The Lakers win the game! Gamble in and out, the ball is tipped, and it's saved. Three seconds left, here's Van Exel. This is for the win, he got it! Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. An amazing performance by Kobe. with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans sticking around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance in Boston. Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? (laughs) I know Red Arbach is uh, rolling over. Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? How strong was that? A triple on a fall away in the corner with a shot locked down. Lakers by three. Bryant spinning in the lane, back for Gasol, pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. And the critical part was Pietras jogging back, didn't balance the floor. It's a two-for-one situation. Kobe Bryant picked up by Powell. There's the move. Two, one, missing. Bryant. Bryant. Yes. And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. Bad insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me?